you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 10? John chapter 10. If you'll remember, we're in a series where we're really studying the I have come statements of Jesus, which is perfect for us during Advent, because Advent is the time in which we celebrate Jesus' coming. And so we're learning and clarifying why it is that Jesus came to begin it with, what his mission really was. And so we're going to see that. I want you to pay especially close to verse 10. That's where we get the I have come statement there. So John chapter 10, we'll read verses 1 through 18 together. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out, calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And here it is, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, So often, Lord, I stand during this pastoral prayer and I think of my flock. And Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to realize that you, the Lord Jesus, is always thinking of your own flock, every single one of us. And so, Father, I recognize that here among the flock that you have so privileged me to pastor, that some are here and they're suffering Some are here and they're apathetic, just going through the motions. Some are here and they're joyful. They have relationships that have been restored this year. Or they're sitting on the road with all of their family. Lord, whether this morning they're joyful, or they're apathetic, or they're heartbroken, the greatest need that they have is a long look at the Lord Jesus. And so I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the sufficiency of the word that he has given to us, that Lord, this morning, you would let us take a clear, long look at Jesus, that we would savor his birth, savor his coming, and await his next arrival. Lord, I pray for my people that you would minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, Christmas Eve... 
I, I, probably like it is for a lot of households, was a really big deal in the hell household when I was growing up. My parents typically saved our big gifts for Christmas morning, but we got to open like the appetizer gifts on Christmas Eve, right? And so you always knew that if the gifts were good on Christmas Eve, my goodness, they were going to be awesome on Christmas morning. I think that's a really helpful way for us to think about the Christian life. That what we have in Christ's first advent amounts to Christmas Eve. He has brought us the appetizer gifts. Perhaps a more biblical way to say it, he has brought us the first fruits of his gifts. And they're awesome. They're awesome. We already have the forgiveness of our sins. We already have the security of our future. We already have the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, who is comforting us and guiding us and convicting us and refining us and making us holy. We already have all of those things. But brothers and sisters, Christmas morning is still coming. Christ's second advent is on the way. And as awesome as the Christmas Eve gifts have been, they will pale in comparison to when we know them in their fullness on Christmas morning. I also think that's a helpful way for us to think about the I have come version uh, verse here in John chapter 10. Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I take the abundant life that Jesus is talking about here to say that the mission of Jesus was to come and to recover and to restore the optimal human flourishing that God intended for his image bearers from the beginning. That was tarnished and destroyed by sin that came under the curse that Jesus has now come to reverse all of that that all of us can know optimal human flourishing in the way that God had intended in the presence of God, in unbroken fellowship with God, in the enjoyment of God. Now the issue is, the issue is, is that's what's going to come on Christmas Day, isn't it? That's what's coming on Christmas Day. But that gift for us right now is not fully unwrapped, is it? But what I want us to spend our time thinking about this morning is that even though, even though the abundant life, the optimal human flourishing that Jesus has come to accomplish, as stated here in John chapter 10, verse 10, even though it's not fully unwrapped, it is meant to be enjoyed in the here and now while we're living in Christmas Eve. So I want us to think about this morning is why life with Jesus is abundant right now. Why life with Jesus is abundant for all of us who are living in this land of suffering, all of us who are living here with the first fruits of the gifts, all of us who are today celebrating his arrival on Christmas Eve. The first thing I want you to see is that you're known and knowing. You're known and knowing. Jesus uses a word there in verse 1 that we don't often use in our world because we don't really, we're not really living in a land of shepherding. He talks about, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold. Now, what is a sheepfold? A sheepfold is a pen, okay? So the way it would happen back in ancient Israel is you would have the shepherds, and during the day, they're out in their various pastures with their flock, and they're feeding their flock, and they're watching over the flock. But what most communities had is they had a centralized 
pen or a centralized sheepfold that would have been there in the middle of town. And they would hire a gatekeeper for that pen. And at the end of the day, all of the shepherds would bring their flocks together and they would put them in the town or community sheepfold so that they would be protected at nighttime when they were most vulnerable. And they would have the, the hired gatekeeper would be there at the entrance of the sheepfold while the shepherds went home and got some rest and checked on their families and did all of those kinds of things. Well, in the sheepfold, you have all of the shep- all of the different flocks are mixed together. But this really isn't a problem at all. See, the sheep spent all day with the shepherds, and the shepherds spent all day with the sheep. So they got to know each other. They became familiar with one another. And what you would have is, especially with good shepherds, is you would have, she- they, they spent all their time with sheep. What do you do with the people that you spend all your time with? We know this with our animals, don't we? We begin to name them. We begin to name them. We, they, they become our company while we're out there on the range. They, they become our companions and the people that we talk to. And so by the next morning, the shepherds would arrive. And only the shepherds that had helped contribute to the gatekeeper were allowed to come in to where the various flocks were gathered. And the shepherd would stand there at the head of the, of the gate. And he would call all of his flock out. And he would call all of them by name. On Prancer and Dancer and Donner and Dixon, right? And all of his sheep, one by one, would come. And they would come to his voice, and he would lead them back out to the pastures where they would spend the day with him again. And they would be able to enjoy his presence. And he would feed them, and defend them, and protect them, and cherish them. And Jesus says, Jesus says, this is a picture of what it's like between my, my, with my relationship with my flock. This is who we are. That what Jesus wants you to know this morning is that he knows your name. He knows your name. I think so often we think about God the way we think, you know, young boys are pretty apt to go and stomp on ant beds, aren't we? Right? Like when, when you're a young man, you go out and you stomp on the ant bed, and what happens is all these little uh, ants, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, these faceless little insects are clinging into each other and running every which way, and they're suffering. Their whole world has been thrown into a frenzy, and they're, they're, the pandemonium is completely arbitrary. It's completely random. It's completely pointless. And the truth is, is in that moment, all, the, all of us are a little bit sociopathic. There's no remorse. Right? And I think for so many, that's how we come to understand how God looks at us here in the world. As though we're on some divine television screen that we're just faceless insects scurrying around with arbitrary suffering one day to the next. Pandemonium after frenzy and that all of it's random and that God is just somewhere up in heaven watching us as though it's a divine theater. As we try to figure this all out, out and that he is completely indifferent altogether. But you see, there's something inside of us that tells us that we're supposed to be more significant than that, isn't there? That there's something inside of each one of us that lets us know that there's more to this than what seems to be. That it's not all arbitrary, and it's not all random, and it's not all meaningless. Genesis chapter 1 calls this the image of God, the Imago Dei. Uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes says that this is because eternity has been written on all of our hearts. That, that you are supposed to recognize that you matter in the eyes of God. And what Jesus wants his flock to recognize is that out of all the peoples on the earth, they are the ones that are known. 
They are the ones that, that have a relationship with him that assures them that this is not meaningless and that this is not worthless and that this is not random and this is not arbitrary. No, he says, the sheep hears his voice, verse 3, and he calls what, who? His own. That he looks at you and he doesn't think about people to whom he has no responsibility. He looks to you and he says, I care about what happens to you. It matters to me what becomes of you because you are my own flock. You are my own people. You are the ones whom I know by name. That the Lord Jesus knows our name and he calls us by name. And that means he knows what your story is and he knows what your sufferings are. And he knows what your hardships have been and he knows what your upbringing was. And he knows about the trauma in your life. He knows about the abuse in your life. He knows about the sin in your life. And yet he still says, you are my own. You matter to me. Maybe you grew up in a household where you didn't think you mattered. Maybe you live in a world that where you don't think you matter. Maybe you go every day to a school or to a job where it doesn't seem like you matter. Little flock, can I tell you, you matter to the Lord Jesus? That he knows your name? That it matters to him what becomes of you? But that's not the only picture here. It's not just that he knows your name. It's that you know his voice. That you know his voice. You see, sheep are very skittish creatures. They are easily spooked, right? So, so you and I could go up to a random flock of sheep, and we may even have a roster. We may be able to call every one of them by name and know every single one of them. And we may be able to stand there, and we can call their name until we're blue in the face, and none of those sheep are going to come. Why? Because they're not really looking for a name. They're looking for a voice. That what they're looking for is that voice that has protected them during the night. What they're looking for is that voice that has fed them day in and day out. What they're looking for is that voice that has shown them gentleness, kindness, and compassion year after year after year. What they're looking for is that voice that has helped them deliver their young and bind up their wounds. What they're looking for is that voice that has stood between them and the wolf year after year and day after day. One of the refrains throughout the Gospels is that Jesus says what he says here in John 10 over and over and over. My people know my voice. My flock recognizes the voice of their shepherd. And when they hear me call out to them, they know they're okay. You see, all of us, we're in the pen together, aren't we? You're in the same pen as all of your neighbors, the same sheepfold. All of you are going through difficult marriages just like they are. You, you recognize that your marriage is harder than it was supposed to be, right? So does your neighbor. And you recognize that your health is more fragile than you ever thought it was when you were young. And you recognize that maybe your dreams aren't coming to fruition in the same way that all of your neighbors are. And you can be prone to wonder, then what good is it to follow Jesus? Because Jesus affords you, even in light of your disappointments, 
Even in light of your dashed dreams, even in light of your heavy suffering, even in light of your cancer diagnosis, Jesus provides for you the pathway to an abundant life. Your neighbors are trying to buy their way there, and your neighbors are trying to numb their way there, but they can't buy enough, and they can't be numb enough. What you have the opportunity to do is to look up and to see there is the presence of the shepherd. And even, in the, even with the threat of the wolves all around, as long as you can look up and see the presence of the shepherd, the most skittish sheep can sleep at night. That's an abundant life, brothers and sisters. That's an abundant life right here, right now. When I was growing up, I grew up in the woods, and I loved the woods. I often, always just felt at home there. And uh, I wasn't raised by wolves or anything like that. I don't want you to get the wrong. I'm not, not, you know, the jungle book kid or anything like that. But I love the woods, right? And even as I got into junior high, my parents would let me come home, stay by myself. And when I got home, I just went straight out to the woods. And sometimes I was hunting. Sometimes I was just gallivanting. God only knows what uh, doing in, out, out in the woods. And I remember on one particular ca- occasion, it was one of the times when I was home all by myself, and I'd stayed out there, and I'd let it get dark on me. Now, I knew those woods really well at the back of my hand, but on this particular occasion, I'd went out a little bit farther than what I typically had gone out. And you know how it is when it gets dark, everything starts looking the same, right? And I'd gotten disoriented, and I'd gotten turned around, and it's a terrifying experience. I don't care who you are. When you're in the woods, in the dark, at night, alone, and you get turned around, it's an unnerving experience. And I remember being turned around and not sure exactly how I was going to get home. Well, my dad had gotten home from work, and I think he had realized that I was out later than I normally would have been out. And so in the midst of my being afraid and being terrified and being all turned around, I began to hear the faint voice of my dad saying, Cody, Cody. Now look, if it would have been any other voice, I would have been more afraid than I already was. I would have been more afraid. I would have thought I was in trouble. I would have thought I was trespassing. I would have thought I would stepped over into something I shouldn't have stepped over into. But when I heard the voice of my dad, you know what I thought? I'm okay. I'm okay. And so my dad kept calling out my name over and over and over. And he told me, follow my voice until you get home. Follow my voice until you get home. And that's the picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. You wander off into the dark woods and you live into the pen with all this suffering. And yet here is the Lord Jesus calling out to you, my son, my daughter, my son, my daughter. And when you hear his voice, dear child, living here on Christmas Eve, you can follow that voice all the way until you get home on Christmas Day. And regardless of what threats you endure, regardless of what sufferings you may face, you can know. When you hear that voice, that you're going to be okay. You know why? Because you're known and you're knowing. And you're safe and you're secure. You're safe and you're secure. Jesus says something else that's easy for us to miss without the uh, context of antiquity. He says there in verse 8, I am the door. Now that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, what, what's he saying there? Okay, so in ancient days, what you would have, if you had an especially devoted and committed shepherd, he wouldn't hire a gatekeeper. 
He was the gatekeeper. This was especially true if there was a known or prevalent threat. You weren't going to entrust someone that you didn't really know or that you were, was just a hired hand to some, with something that was precious to you if you knew it was under an immediate and a dangerous threat. And so back in those days, the, the gates weren't like they were when we think of them here in rural Alabama. We think about those swinging doors, right? And uh, that, that's not the kind of gate. They didn't really have technology like that back in antiquity. And so what the gate really amounted to is the gate really amounted to just a gap in the fence. And the, gate, the gap would have been about five feet wide. And so the responsibility of the gatekeeper was to sit in the middle of that hole. And thus, he becomes the gate himself. He becomes the door. And so what you would have with a good shepherd, a devoted shepherd, is the shepherd wouldn't hire somebody to sit in the door. The shepherd himself would sit there, and he would make himself the gate. If the shepherd had to go to sleep, you know what he would do? The, the fence gap was about five feet wide. He laid himself across the threshold of the sheepfold. And that meant, that meant that no sheep could escape without stepping on him. And no wolf could get to the sheep without stepping on him. That he becomes the divining line between the sheep and the wolves. And Jesus says, this is who I am for my people. This is who I am for my people. I am the door. I am the gate. The only way you're going to get to my sheep is if you come over me. And so what he wants you to see is that he saves you from the wilderness. From just being out there somewhere. From being vulnerable and being at the, at the whim of the predators. John does something really extraordinary in his Gospels. And I know some of you, I, I love this about, we have so many just Bible scholars that are here. This is a great study for you to do. Is What you'll see is in the middle of the Gospel of John, he's actually showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the major Jewish fest festivals. I've told you before, the Jewish people knew how to party, right? The, the Bible has a, has a lot of parties in it. And what John is actually laboring to show is how Jesus is what all of those parties haven't, is who all those parties have been anticipating all of this time. And when Christmas Eve has come, the party is reaching its fulfillment, a fulfillment that will ultimately be known on Christmas Day, right? And so here at the, end, at the beginning of chapter 10, we're at the end of the section in which John is showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the festival of booths or the feast of tabernacles. Now this particular feast was a feast that was supposed to remind Israel of their time in the wilderness with Moses. You remember that time? And so the feast was for the purpose they would go out and they would build for themselves little tents, little booths, little tabernacles, just like they lived in in those times. And they would remember the time in which God's people dwelled with them in the midst of a tabernacle. And they would remember how God had provided them with the manna to eat and the water out of the rock. And they would remember how he had provided them the, the pathway. And they would remember how Moses, Moses was supposed to lead them to the promised land, but but instead, because of the unfaithfulness of the people and because of the, of the sin in Moses' life, he was an incomplete mediator and an incomplete shepherd. And so the picture here for Jesus, the picture here for Jesus is that he is himself, like the manna, like the water, the provision of God, the ultimate provision of God that he has been given to all of God's people who are dwelling in this wilderness that we call this earth, that they can be saved from their sin and delivered from their travails and find hope in the name of of Christ. And we're supposed to see also that Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses led his people into the wilderness, but Jesus, he leads his people to the pasture. He leads his people to the promised land. 
Oh, that's good comfort for us on Christmas Eve. That's good comfort for us this morning. That regardless of what you're facing, regardless of how many tears are in your life, regardless of what loneliness you know this Christmas, regardless of what debts have accumulated, regardless of how many, disease, how many diagnoses you've received, Jesus will not leave you in the wilderness, friends. Jesus will not leave you to dry out and die off all by yourself. No, the Lord Jesus has come for us. The Lord Jesus has come and he has laid himself out for us, pursuing us that the God of gods was born in a manger, that we might be delivered in the midst of this wilderness. That he has come. That you can actually know what it's like to feel safe. Some of you haven't felt safe a single day in your life. You grew up into an unsafe home, you went into an unsafe world, and you were married into an unsafe marriage, and you have no concept of what safety is. Can I tell you that with Jesus you're safe? You're really safe. And right now there's a gap between what all you know about that and what all you feel about that. But one day, one day Christmas morning is coming and the gift is going to be fully unwrapped. And you are going to know then and forever, billions and billions and billions of years, a drop in the bucket. Nothing but total and complete safety. Because the wilderness would have be, will have been gone and the promised land will have been enjoyed. Right now in the pastures there are crosses. Right now in the pasture land that Jesus is guiding us to, there are crosses. There are sufferings that we must encounter because the gift is still partially wrapped. But even, even in those crosses, even in those cross-filled pastures, we can see Jesus take and increase our faith by demonstrating his faithfulness to us time and time and time again. Because he saves you from the wilderness and then he secures you in his flock. Honestly, right here, we could stop. And I could spend the rest of my pastoral ministry, whatever God allows, unpacking this simple verse, verses 14, these simple verses, verses 14 and 15, and we would never find the bottoms of them. I want you to hear what he says. I am the good shepherd. I know. Now, what's the kind of knowledge that he's talking about? He's talking about familial knowledge. He's talking about filial knowledge. He, he's talking about the way a husband knows his wife. He's talking about the way a father knows his son. He's like, I know you because you're mine, because we're family, because we're together all the time. Intimate knowledge. He's talking about the nature of the relationship that you have with the living God. That's what he's talking about. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Okay, got that. Now comes in verse 15, one of the most breathtaking phrases in all of the Bible, all of the Bible, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is giving us insight into how he was able to live an abundant life even though everybody hated him, even though no one accepted him, even though his very own people would ultimately crucify. Do you realize that? Do you recognize that? That Jesus lived an abundant life even though it ended with a crucifixion? Jesus was a joyful person even though he had no place to lay down his head? Jesus was a secure person even though the culture of his day did not accept him? Jesus was, was a, a happy person even though everybody that mattered wanted to come against him and execute him? How was he able to do that? Because his, his relationship with the heavenly father was inseparable. It was rock solid. 
This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He knew they may not accept me, but he accepts me. They may not love me, but he loves me. I may not be right with them, but I'm right with him. And because I am secure in the Father, I can face whatever I want to face today. And I can do it with an abundant life, with joy and peace and satisfaction. Now, what hope do you have? The hope that you have is that Jesus says that he knows you the way the Father knows him. Here is the Trinity being held up to us. Father and Son, very God of very God, a part of one another from eternity past all the way to eternity future. There has never been a time in which they weren't together. There will never be a time in which they aren't together. They have always been bound together in perfect community and perfect fellowship and perfect relationship for all eternity. And he takes this relationship, and y'all, it would feel heretical for me to say it if Jesus had not said it. He takes this relationship, this Trinitarian paradise, and he holds it up and he says, just like that, you are secure with me. That there is something eternal, something divine, something supernatural, something that, that precedes this life, something that will succeed this life, that is happening right here when he says, just as secure as I am with the Father, so you are with me. Nothing can interrupt that relationship. Nothing can throw that off course. Nothing can, not your sin, not your suffering, not your health, not the estrangement of relationships, not the disappointment of your life. Nothing can separate it. Just just as the cross could not separate the Son from the Father, just as the rejection could not separate the Son from the Father, can nothing separate you from the Son. Do you feel the security of that? Do you feel the assurance of that? There is no language that Jesus could have used to make you feel more secure than the language that he chooses right there. It reminds me of a story that I read in the Gospel Coalition a number of years ago. There was a, a, a young missionary family that moved to a post-communist atheistic country. And their goal was to go there and to begin planting churches. And they had all the, the grandiose, idealistic views that young ministers have when they go into start off in the ministry. And they could just see themselves just flipping this country upside down with, for Jesus and bringing hope where there's despair and and joy where there's misery. And from the time they stepped foot on foreign ground, they had a two-year-old son that began to have just horrendous nightmares. Horrendous nightmares. And this goes on for months and months and months, so much so that the little boy was afraid to go to sleep at night. And all of us who have been parents, we know how those kinds of experiences upend everything that's happening in the family, don't they? After some months had went by, the young boy began to be able to describe what he was seeing in his nightmares. And he describes to his mom and dad something so demonic, something so horrendous, that they knew it was nothing that he had ever seen, and it was nothing that, as a two-year-old, he was even able to describe. And so they recognized that, that the evil day had descended upon their house, and they were in the midst of spiritual warfare. 
So what they did is they, they gathered their fledgling church, the, the small church that they'd been able to, to start there in this foreign country. And they all, they put the boy to bed and they tucked him in and they had the whole church gather outside of his window. And they would lay hands on the house and all night long this church prayed over this little boy and prayed over his room and prayed that he would have a good night's sleep. And it seemed like he had slept much better. So the next morning when he began to awake, his mom goes into his room and she says, did you sleep any better last night? He said, I slept great. I slept great. She says, well, good, good. So you didn't see the demons last night? He says, no, I saw her. I did see her. But she was outside of my window and she couldn't come in. Do you see the picture? Jesus is the shepherd laying himself outside your pen. Jesus is the shepherd who was laid outside your window. And if the predators are going to get to you, if the suffering is going to get to you, if the hardship is going to get to you, if the demons that we cannot see are going to get to you, they've got to go through him. And before him, they tremble. Now, Jesus, with him, you're safe. You're secure. And finally, I want you to see that you're atoned and assured. Atoned and assured. There's a contrast that's happening here. We saw it there in John chapter 10, verse 10. When we, the, the verse we really started with, the verse that, that brought us to John chapter 10 to begin with. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That There is a, a contrast that's happening here between the good shepherd and the bad shepherds. So we might be prone to think after everything that I've said that the shepherds were a pretty impressive bunch. The truth is that they were a nefarious group. They were not highly thought of in ancient Israel. They were really known when you go to the sheepfold pen if you, you wanted to be the first one there. And then you could scurry out a few of the other sheep when it come, when, with your flock when you were going out to pasture. And so they kind of had that, Mark forgive me I love you brother. They kind of had that used car salesman feel a little bit right. That was kind of their reputation, but this is an honorable man, the honorable man, honorable, the stand, in the way of Jesus, right? And so they had a bad reputation, and, and the metaphor was meant to carry forward to the religious leaders of Israel at the time. They were the thieves that Jesus is talking about. They were the hired hands that he's talking about at the end of John chapter 10. They were the nefarious shepherds that were seeking to profit off of the sheep rather than protect, nurture, and care for the sheep. And so Jesus describes all of these wicked these wicked. Shepherds, and he says they're hired hands, they're only in it for their own good, they're, they're thieves that come in and try to steal from my flock, but I, I am the good shepherd. And he says that he's completely different because where they want to profit from you, he came to die for you. See, every person on earth, the relationship that you have with them is ultimately conditional, whether we want to believe that it is or isn't. That there's some measure of reciprocity that all of us expect. And in most relationships, not, maybe not all, but in most relationships, those relationships are largely contingent upon what I'm going to get out of it. But the second you start adding too much drama to a person's life with your drama, the second that you start bringing all your suffering and constantly talking to them about your suffering, the, 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 the more that you need from them and the less that you're able to contribute from them, the more likely they are to withdraw from that relationship, aren't they? 
Jesus says we shouldn't be surprised by this. This is what hired hands do. This is what hired hands do. When the wolves come, the hired hands run away. But it stands to point to us how good the good shepherd is. He's not a hired hand. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That he is willing to throw himself between you and the wolves. He's willing to throw himself between you and your sin. He's willing to throw himself between you and your cross. That Jesus is willing to come for you and die for you. That he might atone for all the sins that you have. This morning, the invitation is not for you to go home and be a better person. That's not what it is. The, invita- the invitation for you is, to not, is not to, to try to ha- figure out how to make right all the things that you've messed up. You can't. The invitation is not for you to try to atone and, and, and self-mutilate and self-harm and self-condemn. The invitation is for you to recognize that the shepherd has already paid the debt. He's already laid down his life. He's already atoned for that sin. He's already atoned for that shortcoming. He's already atoned for that flaw. He's already atoned for all of it. And he said it is finished. It is paid in totality. So this morning we're going to gather around the Lord's table. And that's what we're going to remember. That Christmas Eve came. The first fruits of the promises of God were fulfilled by the provision of God in the person of Christ. When all of my sins and all of your sins, if we will repent of our sins and place our faith in him, were paid for in their totality. Because the good shepherd came not to get from you, but to give to you his own righteousness. And give to you his own goodness. And give to you his own perfect record. And give to you his own fulfillment. To give to you abundant life. But you know it's not enough that he came and died. And when we come this morning to the Lord's table. That's not all, not all that we're coming to remember. He didn't just come to die. He came to win. He says in verse 18. No one takes it from me. I'm not... Getting my life, my life is not being stolen from me. No one comes to take it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to do what? Take it up again. You know, a dead shepherd's not much help to the sheep. If a dead shepherd, if a shepherd dies in the process of defending you from a wolf, well, once the wolf kills the shepherd, there ain't nobody to stop him from killing you. And this morning, if all we had was a dead savior... It wouldn't amount to very much. It would amount to a famous story and a myth that was told one time about a nice guy that may have been a little crazy. But he didn't just come to die. He came to win. And he overcame the grave. And three days later, he showed that he was able to conquer your sin and conquer your death and conquer your suffering and conquer your travails. He came three days later to show that Christmas Eve had not only come, but Christmas Day was on the way. That the fulfillment of peace and satisfaction was going to be realized in a new heaven and a new earth. That you too, if you place all of your hope, if you walk through the sheep gate, that you would have life now, life forever Life abundant. So this morning, my invitation to you, my invitation to you is to come to the table. To come to the table and to remember that Jesus purchased this table for us. To come to the table and to remember 
that you're going to identify with Jesus in his cross. And having identified with Jesus in his cross, you're then going to identify with Jesus in his resurrection. That is, we're going to come to the table. And we're going to remember that Christmas Eve has come. And we're going to remember that Christmas Day, Christmas Day, brothers and sisters, it is certainly going to come too. Let me pray for us. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.